That said, any questions, or should we all just go home now? Seems like what? That does seem like it. I agree. I agree. Oh, Greg Sweet. Well, I don't, <clears throat> it's not a question. It's more an observation that, uh, that this message, maybe only to me, but it really seems apropos to the week we've just come through. Mm. I, I found myself being very angry, very uh, disappointed, very anxious mm. uh, about uh, seeing that that seemingly so much of this is not legit. It's it's uh, opportunism, and and people are trying to excuse inexcusable behavior. Yeah. And um, I guess w- where I see this message fitting in is that uh, Christ, what Christ received from uh, the the Jews was not legit and he suffered it uh willingly uh i i don't i don't believe that this is probably god's will that people uh do these things but i'm willing to i guess i i see that i've been unwilling to suffer because i don't think it's deserved and mm-hmm. and i see from you know from scripture that well that's not really my de- my prerogative my my I need to love these people and recognize that they're perhaps doing all they know to do, oh. which is to act like their father, the, the devil. They yeah. don't know. I'd be just like them, perhaps, without the, without the, uh, the Holy Spirit within me. Yeah. And, and I, I forget that all too easily. And no, no, it is true. It is true. Whatever... Whatever wrongs are done us, and whatever offense we take, even someone were to set your house on fire and, and spray paint your car and kill your dog. You don't have a dog, right? But whatever wrongs and injustices you would have suffered then pale in comparison to the wrongs suffered by Christ and his rights. Whatever you deserved, the difference between what you deserved and what you got is infinitely greater when you look at what Christ deserved, what Christ got. And so, no, our willingness to suffer mystery. And there is absolutely a place for crying out for justice. Absolutely. And so it gets more complicated. Like, Lord, this is wrong, and I'm crying out for justice, and I'm willing to suffer. All rolled into a package. So it's not stop thinking injustice is injustice. It's also being willing to love and suffer, and these people... Um, and obviously, I don't believe either of us are speaking of the entire protesting group. We're talking primarily of those who are looting, pillaging, destroying, killing, promoting violence. They need love. They need us to love them. Now, loving them is, may look different in different circumstances, but we also may need to consider taking the initiative with that as well. Absolutely. Anything else? We, we can talk about recent events if you want, but I'd rather talk about Ephesians. Other questions? Thoughts? Oh, Linda. Uh, 
Okay, so um, when you were referencing Hebrews uh, chapter 10, um, and it talked about how um, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. So, but there's also going to be a sacrificial system in the millennium, is that correct? That's my understanding. So, Ezekiel seems to make that pretty clear. Right. Those won't be sacrifices, for, whatever they are, they won't be sacrifices for sins. So, they, they, they won't. So, people have, okay, let me pause. The question is, um, under, under our understanding, there's different views of eschatology. So under our understanding, in the millennium, Christ returns. He sets up, um, he sits on David's throne in Jerusalem. And the temple described in Ezekiel's final eight chapters, what we call the millennial temple, will be built. And so unless you interpret the temple in Ezekiel symbolically, which we don't, that temple offers sacrifices. That, that's a problem that we have to wrestle with. How can there be the reinstitution of a sacrificial system in the millennium? And so whatever it is, it's not sacrifices for sin. I think it's proposed that they're memorial sacrifices. They are done in remembrance. The key feature being of, this view, of, of our view of eschatology is that, and think of it this way, how much of the Bible is given to the laws, rules, Ordinances for national Israel in the land. A huge amount of how Israel is to be governed. Don't put a parapet on your roof. Uh, things like that. The sacrificial system, the temple worship. For how long did Israel even remotely adhere to and do that? I'll say maybe David's reign, most of Solomon's reign. You might be able to give that. Because Solomon's son rips the nation in half. So... One of the things that I think is beautiful in our understanding of eschatology and how in the future Israel as a nation will be reformed is this plan. It's like having schematics for a, a, a gorgeous, you know, classic car or whatever, and you never really see it come to fruition. But in the millennium, you're going to see Israel functioning as it ought to have functioned under the law on all cylinders with its messianic king ruling in Jerusalem. If you don't think that, all of this buildup for Israel really just sort of putters out after Solomon. After Solomon's reign, and he ends his reign poorly, his son, Rehoboam, rips the kingdom in two, and you get the northern ten, eight tri- ten tribes and the southern two tribes. And from then on, nothing in Deuteronomy tells you how to govern two kingdoms. I mean, we're just off the map at that point. And so, to me... This isn't a reason to hold to it, but one of the things I do find is beautiful in it is this notion that, hey, we had this big psych-up, we had this big preparation, we had all this instruction for how this kingdom's going to run, and we never really saw it run that way. Because even David, right, I mean, he's in, he commits adultery, and God disciplines the people because of him, and God takes a census, and God sends a play. I mean, like, even under David, as good as it is under David, it's still not perfect. It's not great. And certainly Solomon has much we could critique him for, as good as Solomon at portions might be. But I believe we will see Psalm 2 literally fulfilled, and we will see Israel functioning as it always should have for a period of time with this perfect king. Part, of, part and parcel with that, though, if we're going to take Ezekiel seriously, is the sacrificial system. And I think, honestly, this point of our eschatology is the part that's the hardest for 
those considering views, all-millennial brothers, post-millennial brothers, historic pre-millennial, but the different views to, to stumble on. Wait a second, you, you're saying, and I'll be the first person to admit it's not what I would have thought would happen, <laughs> but Ezekiel is a package deal. Either Ezekiel's describing a real building that hasn't been built yet and what things are going to look like, or he's not. It's, a symb- it's symbolic, because the other option you have with Ezekiel's temple is he's describing the church. The problem is he's so detailed. And so for those who want to say Ezekiel's final eight chapters are describing the church, I want to say, you know, this eight-paragraph section about the outer vestibule, what part of the church is that? This, you know, this, this section of Ezekiel that describes the nave where the priests put their clothes, what part of the church is that? And, and it becomes, I mean, that's why when you get like commentaries on Ezekiel that aren't, our view is dispensational. When you get non-dispensational commentaries, they can go nice and slow through most of the book and then they fly through the last eight chapters because what do you do with it? So Ezekiel is problematic and that, problematic for us from what we'd expect. It's not, God's word is good. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to slight Ezekiel. Ezekiel is difficult for us to understand. And so I can't read Ezekiel and not think, this temple's got sacrifices taking place. Now, not all sacrifices in the Old Testament are for sin. There's thank offerings. There's wave offerings. So there's a number of sacrifices that have nothing to do with atoning for sin that I think you could faithfully have made or make in the future without in any way slating or impugning Christ's sacrifice. You'll give a free will offering, a thanks offering. So um, whatever is taking place, Hebrews is clear, it's not dealing with sin. And it will be clearly understood by those involved in it. This has nothing to do with the removal of sin, whatever this is. But I'd be the first to admit that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people outside of dispensationalism looking in is, wait a sec. And I'll be the first one to say, it's not what I would have thought. But you gotta, at the end of the day, God's got to rule and his words got to tell us what is going on. And your options with Ezekiel are going to be real temple with real sacrifices or spiritual temple with spiritual sacrifices. And I think the problems of going the spiritual route are even greater. Just because it's allegorical interpretations are not, not anything I think that are a great place to go. But those are really good to your options. Is that much of an answer or have I sort of screwed Well, around? I mean, we know that the Jews are preparing to build a temple yeah. currently. Yes. And they're building... They have, a red, they have the ashes of a red yes. heifer now. They bred a red heifer and they have the ashes of a red heifer. They have the golden candelabra encased in bulletproof glass in the middle of a public square. My wife has photos of her there. Solid gold, just encased with... They've got all the accoutrements of the temple ready to go as public exhibits. Um, so in one sense, it's quite. We, I could see how in the near future, if they ever got possession of the uh, Temple Mount, they could... We can far more now see how that could happen than we could before the 1940s, right? I mean, in 1930, there wasn't even a nation of Israel. You know, so um, a lot has happened, which, I mean, the Lord could be another 10,000 years. I doubt it, but... There are pl- things in place now where if it's the Lord's plan, I could see how things could move with some alacrity, um, with some speed. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I tell it to my children. Mike, you need to go to your chores. With alacrity. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Oh, in the back.
the Walters. Good to see you guys. Thank you. Um, the subject is inheritance, and in Ephesians 5.5, 5, it talks about neither the immoral or, you know, yeah. etc. Yeah. will have an inheritance. Other verses speak to the inheritance that we are promised um, by trusting in Christ. Do you have any thoughts on that subject inheritance um, and the contrast there? Sure. I, I don't think there are people who go to heaven who don't have an inheritance. I think he's grabbing on. That's, that seems to be a pretty Jewish way of speaking of eternal life. That's the question the rich young ruler asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, so I think it's one of many ways you could say go to heaven, have salvation, um, because it's clear wrath is coming for these people. Um, so I think he's grabbing one of the unique characteristics that come with salvation, which is inheriting the kingdom, and saying, I want you to be clear, nobody um, who is doing these things will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, but, no, I mean, that's where we're going in the next two weeks, honestly, is, uh, is Paul's really strongest warning in Ephesians. It's, just, he's got, it's interesting. Paul, there's a tension in Paul. And we'll, you're just getting me giving a, a preview of next week. The tension is this. We are saved by faith apart from works. People that consistently habitually bear these works go to hell. And Paul is emphatic on both points. In all of his major epistles, I mean, what I mean by major is not Philemon. In, in, in 1 Corinthians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, in Galatians, um, Paul, knowing that his salvation by grace through faith message might be misused to promote lawless living, let's go get drunk, let's go sleep with prostitutes, let's go you know, live, live recklessly, inserts these warnings, and that's the tension in Paul. And it's a tension because we're saved by faith apart from works, People who live like hell go there, for lack of a better term. Um, and next week we'll be trying to resolve that tension. Okay, what do you do with this? Um, and yet I think, it's, I, I think one cop-out would be to say, well, these are people who are saved, but they're not inheriting the kingdom. It, it, salvation's a package, and it includes many pieces. Adoption as son, sealing by the Spirit, and an inheritance in the kingdom of God, absolutely. Um, so that's what I think, and I will speak to much greater effect in the next two weeks on that um, and how to try to deal with that tension. But I'll be freely to admit the tension um, because what people become tempted to think is, does this complicate justification by faith? Um, if I'm saying these works will damn you, full stop, period, then how does that fit with justification by faith? Um, that's what we're going to look at in the next two weeks. Other questions? Going once. Going twice. Oh, Lee. I was about to say go home. This isn't nothing spiritual. <laughs> anyway, uh, Daniel alluded to uh, the starting up of 
more ministries in church. I'm thinking Sunday school and stuff. Can you guys tell me what you're thinking, or is there a yes and process? No. That's on our agenda for this Tuesday. I can very limitedly tell you some of my thoughts, and I will restrain saying much. I think, and I'm going to propose to the elders, it's time for us to consider and ask ministries, tell us how, if you want to start back up again, tell us how you might do it. And if ministries can come up with reasonable ways of conducting that ministry that seem safe and seem fitting with the guidelines. Let, so at this point, I'd be open to hearing a proposal from Children's Church on how they might do it. I'd be open to hear a proposal from small groups, from men's groups, from men's breakfast. Um, it's not to say everything's a go, but... Absolutely. If, you, if you've thought through this and you think you've got a safe, wise way to do this, let's hear it. Um, and, and basically, if, if we're in agreement on that, now maybe the thought is, hey, it's still a little too soon, let's give it a few more weeks, um, then we could do that. But I think that would be the next step would be uh, letting those ministries that want to begin again. There may be some that say, hey, let's hold off. Um, but letting them pitch how they can do it, and if it seems like it's, it's an appropriate way, then let's, I, I would think at this point, considering every and all ministry would be valid, personally, that, that at this point, certainly thinking it through. Now, the problem with children's ministry is there is virtually no way we can do children's ministry to replicate what they're trying to do in the public school system. There's virtually no way we can do that. Now, the... We'll never stop being under the authorities God's given us while we live and they reign. What they say to do may well change. And they're getting more and more looser and looser and looser and looser in what they're saying. Um, So at a certain point, we'll be thinking less about they'll have given us enough freedom that we then have to think carefully about what we think is wise and good. Like, for instance, the the face mask, which we'll again reconsider, is not something that we're doing fundamentally because uh, we're being told to, but just because the issue of miasma and circulating, I can't think that less spittle is in the air when we sing, primarily when we sing, because of face mask. And I can't think that isn't of benefit. The, I mean, I, we try to make this clear. The fundamental reason we're asking people to wear face mask is not for Abner's. Abner's not wearing a mask to protect Abner. Abner's wearing a mask in case he's asymptomatic. That less of his spittle and phlegma and less of his, you know, um, less of his abnerness is in the air. Exactly, exactly. But that, given that we want to sing, that just seemed like a low-cost benefit ratio to help people, especially since we do have people who would be very, very high risk in our congregation. Um, I'm looking at two right over there. Blanche has got. Uh, her, all, you've already, Blanche, you have a reduced lung capacity, right? So, so a respiratory infection would be dire, right? Um, and so I think we're moving more and more into, it, initially it was just, okay, what will they let us do? And now I think we're moving into both, okay, here's what they, what they want us to do, what they're asking us to do, gives us enough freedom and liberty that now we're more and more, what seems wise and prudent for us to do is becoming, it's already becoming more of an issue. Um, as, like I said, it's the mass exhibit. We're not, we didn't ask people to wear masks fundamentally because they told us to. I'm not aware of them telling us to or asking us to. It just seemed like a good idea to us. Um, so I think we're already transitioning under simply follow the orders to wisdom and planning. 
Um, and that's something that you can pray for us for wisdom for, because I, I don't know exactly what we're going to do. I don't know what we'd do tomorrow if they said uh, social distancing is off. Would we immediately just have everyone sit next to each other? Would we go to a leaving a blank space in between everybody? Would we have like a? Would we sort of decompress it down? I don't know. Um, but gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> she likes her no-fly zone. Um, no, and but but regarding the children, I think that. Um, I, I, I fail to see how we can do children's ministry without f- accepting, and maybe, maybe we'll think it is acceptable, that our kids will just trade all their germs. They're going to. If our kids get together, that's going to happen. And we, we're going to need to get to a point where both our, our leaders say that's okay, and we say we're willing to do that. Um, I think children's ministry will likely be the last thing to come back online for that reason. Because um, we, can, we can expect adults to keep some distance and use some intelligent precautions. You can't expect a three-year-old not to run up and, and yeah, right, right. They'll, they'll, they'll get along. It's only for an hour or two a, a week. I'm sure they'll recover. But the, the church met in catacombs. I could hear the arguments. That's going to be traumatic for my children. Yes, during the plague. Um, I'm not as much worried about that, but fair enough. It is a joy to see your face, Lee. It is, it is. Glad, no, I'm dead serious. It's a joy to see people's faces. And so we're more and more getting together. And it's a joy when we can embrace each other. Absolutely. Um, those are biblical values. Absolutely it is. Just pray for wisdom for us and pray for wisdom for our leaders and wisdom for leaders in the church. And just, if people have thoughts, we'd, you know, if you've got thoughts or opinions or whatever, um, I'm sure we'd welcome them, given in the right attitude. Um, <laughs> um, but no, that's, that's, that's as much as I can say right now, and that's an item on our next meeting agenda, so you're getting Jeremy's thoughts, you're not getting the elder board's thoughts, and Jeremy's thoughts may get schooled and corrected on Tuesday, so um, it's worth what you paid for, and I didn't think you paid anything, so, Okay. Any other questions? Go walk in love.